Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. She says a lot like, um, if I can make life really hard for myself, then I can probably make it easy for myself as well. And it's something that I've tried to internalize in a lot of ways because I think that I do a lot of things that are just like, oh, you're going like around the thing when you could literally just like walk in a straight line and it'd be so much easier. Um, Although knowing my body walking anywhere is kind of difficult. Hello and welcome to The Body Protest. In this podcast, we combine storytelling with science to better understand our relationship with our bodies. I'm Nadia Craddock and I'm a body image researcher. And I'm Honey Ross, and I'm a writer. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Hi, Hi Body Protesters. So cl- That was a close one, I think. Do you that say was... Body Protest rather than Body Protesters? No, I say Body Protesters, but I think I got, again, scared <laughs> and stopped. <laughs> I panic. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, we're, we're doing our best. <laughs> really are. Really are. Um, how are you doing today, my love? I am doing very well, thank you. How are you? I am good. I My cats are driving me insane, but that is fine. That is part of the work from home fun. And I'm sure one day I will long for these quality moments with my strange hairless children. <laughs> Always. Um, we've got such a gorgeous episode today. Honey, do you want to introduce our guests? We have got an incredible episode today. We speak to Kenzie and Rosa, the founders of Six Sad Girls. They are two dear friends of mine. Um, I talk about this a bit in the episode, but these are two of the women who taught me how to care for myself, to look after myself. They are so special to me. In the world of body image, so much about changing perceptions is about talking to people about what their body can do. But in this conversation, it's so interesting because when you live with chronic illness, there's a lot that your body can't do. And I think it's important to comment on how, you know what well where do you go from there and I think Rosa and Kenzie have a really it's just very refreshing to hear them talking about it because so many people live with hidden illnesses and it's not something that's covered a lot in body image we talk about self-medication through substance abuse accessibility obviously we come back to that fairy godmother big sister energy and that is really what they have created they've created the most incredible community for anyone who if you identify with any of the labels sick sad or girl whichever suits you you can be part of it and it really feels like such an antithesis to instagram and it's a really special thing they're doing so Anyway, here is Rosa and Kenzie. We're so happy to have you, the sickest girls I know in the be- in both you ways. You know, we the really best. try <laughs> the best to like bag. at least be really good at the thing we do, which is like if you're gonna be sick and you're gonna be sad, you might as well be the sickest and the saddest. 
always top commit top the to the bit here is really my look in life it's like yeah. oh my god commit <laughs> commitment is definitely our look so we love to start with this question on the podcast and feel free to go in or you know as deep or as little as you'd like to but would you mind telling me a little bit about your relationships with your bodies growing up yeah um I don't I like truly sometimes forget I live in a body is like really the kind of like truest answer to it my body has been rebelling against anything I've wanted it to do for as long as I can remember I was like an eight-year-old with knee problems yeah um on the illness side I have lupus which is an inflammatory illness so like I've literally had like bone and joint issues since I was a child and so in this way I like hated the existence in my body like my body didn't do the things other people's could do and like I never understood really and because I think it took it takes so long to get diagnosed with chronic health shit really I spent probably until I got diagnosed with lupus at 22 being like why why can't my body do that and so the like ingrained knowledge was that like my body must be bad like it doesn't work it must be bad and then like that kind of like pieced together with like teenage angst and like a few eating disorders like the concept that like I had to exist in this body at all was like miserable to me so I just sort of forgot it existed for a long time I love I always hate like I feel like we have like a rapport now because we've done so many like podcast interviews hashtag blessed but like it'll always be like Rosa will go first and then I'll kind of like stumble along afterwards and it's always like this really eloquent thing followed by me being like oh yeah I hate myself like, and, uh, that's not true but okay um, but my relationship with my body has always been I, I like on the illness side of things I was from a very young age, from about three, I was diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or a, a form of cardiomyopathy, which essentially means that my heart's a little bit messed up. Um, I have a lot of like scarring on my heart tissue, so it's bigger than it should be, which is kind of cute to talk about, but like not actually when we think <laughs> about the mechanics of it. Despite that, I think I was a very like active child. Um, I was like on competitive dance teams from the age of like nine um which kind of like has its own kind of like scary regime like vibe to it of like you have to you know perform a certain way you have to look a certain way you have to you know just like be kind of like have this like be your entire life and your entire um I don't know like way of like looking at yourself and I think it Mm -hmm. can be super damaging but I was like I mean I don't know I think like as a kid I was very much just like this is fun like this is a fun way to hang out with my friends and you know do like after school things and whatever so like that never really it never really occurred to me that I was as sick as Mm -hmm. I was I think I think my mom did a really good job of like you know kind of being like well don't push yourself too far but I was like always very much I don't know I think we talk about it a lot on success girls but like this idea of like like what your body can do being so tied to your identity and like who Mm -hmm. you are um it definitely became an identity for me like the idea of like well like I could get thrown around on stage and like you know also just being like a singer kind of like you know freeze from the diaphragm all of that stuff I mean I'm like kind of going off on a tangent but I think that like in terms of 
my body being like a machine and like what it what it can do became so important and so kind of integral to who I was that it kind of got turned on its head in a big way when I realized kind of the uh, gravity of my illness. Right. And what I am really thinking about is we just don't hear stories about chronic illness in relation to body image. And I think something maybe in relation to what you were saying, Rosa, in terms of feeling like disconnected from your body and your body's just not doing what you imagine it and want it to do. When we talk about body image, like part of body image is about the functionality of, of your body as well as what your body looks like. And I wonder now, how has your chronic illness affected how you think and feel about the way your body looks and functions now? I think the thing about a lot of our chronic illnesses and a lot of what we deal with on Six Head Girls is a lot of hidden illness. Like mm-hmm. I physically don't look sick most of the time. I mean, sometimes I look a little bit more like bedraggled than others, but like in that way of like, mm-hmm. I walk and talk sort of like as a standard as like they come in this way. It's much more like a thing I know I'm dealing with than said stranger on the street knows they're dealing mm-hmm. with. And I think that affects the way I have to think about my body in this way of what it doesn't do or what it doesn't want Mm -hmm. to do or what it's willing to do on this day. And other people get to perceive my body as like the same way they would anyone else's. And I think there's this like weird thing of like being sort of like so aware of things that I have found difficult living in my body and then also not having the same sort of like grace given to my body by other people and so it's this idea of like I have to either inform you or be Mm -hmm. cool with the idea that like the outside perception of my body is going to be judged regardless of the struggle I deal with around it I think a lot of body image in this way is also like outside perception of it. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's a thing that like I, in terms of like the mental illness side of my life, I'm like, I don't understand how you see me and like my version of me versus your version of me are so fucked up in my head that like the idea that like you also don't have to encounter my body with the lens of my illness, but I do means that like I'm constantly playing this game of like, catch up to make myself as sort of like acceptable and as perfect as possible for you to view to make up for the idea that like literally the like machine doesn't work half the time and it's created this thing of like the influx of like can I can I make it all as easy for you as possible to view and observe and like deal with my body because I can't deal with it. You, you mentioned eating disorders earlier. Would you say mm. that was linked to? I think so much of my life has been about this idea of like, I'm also uh, at this point, 11 and a half years sober. I was a teenage heroin addict. I like so much of that stuff that I found, particularly as a teenager, which to me is sort of so encompassed in like the land before we figured out what was wrong with me, mm-hmm. which like is sort of like not the most loving way of putting it, but I don't like that doesn't affect me in that way. It was like the land before we figured out my chronic illness was this like grasping at straws for something that might make me feel better. Mm -hmm. And so, so much of that stuff is like 
how you interact with food. Even now, like really a lot of my illness is helped or harmed by what I eat. And so food has become this like really, I think as a teenager, a lot of it was like trying to control something when nothing worked in my body. Mm -hmm. And the same with like shooting heroin for several years was like a real sort of like first look at like, I need pain meds was like Mm -hmm. my, I found pain meds in that way. Like I found those answers. And I think now it's like, I still have to consider am I eating the way I eat because it actually benefits my health or am I eating the way I eat because it's another way I get to restrict what I eat, which is like my Mm -hmm. personal obsession is like, can I not eat that? And I love to list for you the like 94 things I cannot eat because it's like fun for me. I'm like, "Hmm, can't eat it. Hmm, Can't eat it. Uh, Like truly that's the like most still eating disorder side of my brain is like, "Hmm, can't eat it. I I actually feel like I remember a little bit of that list or like that kind of conversation oh, yeah. when we first when we very first met when we went to watch book smart a couple of years ago and I think yeah I, I love I, I love a list of shit I can't eat I'm like mm, sorry I'm a gluten-free vegan that can't eat nightshade vegetables I'm allergic to like bananas <laughs> and mushrooms like I will give you this list of like why mm-hmm. I have to eat exclusively off a children's menu for like a slightly confused <laughs> child I'm like also like the anti, like don't make me eat something. Like I'm so funny about food. And it's funny because in ways the like chronic illness gives me like such a sort of like, I don't have to talk about why food is so confronting for mm-hmm. me because I just can't eat it. It makes me feel sick, so I can't eat it. So that sucks for everybody else, but I get to like eat in this obsessive way. Speaking of someone who lived with Rosa for like almost two years and like cooking for her and literally being like, cool, so is it peas and gnocchi tonight or is it peas and gluten-free pasta? What are we doing? I am like a walking children's menu. I don't want to eat anything that you wouldn't feed, that a five-year-old wouldn't (laughs) eat. I don't know why that's the like part of food that like is stuck with me in life, but like that's the only thing I want to eat. The more plain and like covered, like beige it is, the better Mm -hmm. in my world. Wow. And I think as you were saying in terms of like what is actually helping in terms of lupus and and the health conditions and then what is like disentangling that in terms of what's helpful and what's in your head of of what is going to be that's disordered, I think is really hard. I mean, the disentangling of it is one thing. And I think the Mm -hmm. other side of it is it just gives me, it's a list of excuses. I get this like real easy built-in list of excuses as to why I don't have to do that, which is like my whole, like, if you really let my mental illness like run wild, it's like, Mm -hmm. here's a list of things that like, I don't want to do because I don't like the way it feels and I don't want to be more anxious or I don't want to be more sad or I don't want to be whatever, or I don't Mm -hmm. want like, I am like OCD and all those things. And so like, I don't want this to like stress my obsessiveness in any more ways than like I already am so like this is what I eat and there's parts of it that are like really relieving in this way of Mm -hmm. like I don't have to like play this game of like can I eat it how will it make me feel whatever it's just like I just don't do that and it's I think in some ways like is this like protectiveness of the eating disorder and of the illness and of like the mental state and whatever And then in other ways, it's just like, it is, if I can get out of my own way with it, it does create the ease around the body in which I live in, which is to be like, if I just like make this list of things I do and don't do that, like, I don't have to like 
like placate anybody with like, would I do it? How would it make Mm. me feel? I just, it's not a thing I do. I mean, it sounds like you have a really good insight. I can see there's like an element of safety in there. Mm. Kenzie, what would you say in terms of how chronic illness, or if it has, it may not, it may not has influenced um, your body image now? Well, I think like what Rosa said earlier about the kind of like, because people don't perceive you as being kind of like having a disability or being chronically ill, it's really difficult to figure out kind of then how you feel about yourself or like kind of where you stand on things. Like I've, we were talking the other day about like, I went to a photo shoot mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. I brought my walking stick around with me. Cause I was like, I don't know if there are going to be stairs in the building. I don't know you know, what the deal is going to be. And like on top of my HCM, I also have just been diagnosed over the pandemic actually with mu- a form of muscular dystrophy. Um, we don't know how aggressive it is, whatever else, but obviously it's a degenerative disease that affects my muscles. And like, it's gotten to the place, especially with like lockdown and sitting around a lot more than I'd maybe like to, or would normally be doing. Um, my movements become more restricted. It's a lot harder for me to walk upstairs, et cetera, et cetera. So I think like going to this photo shoot, it was almost like there was an element of like, yeah, I don't know if they're going to be stairs, so I'm going to bring it along with me, but also just like a signaling that I felt mm-hmm. like having this stick. It was almost like a safety in a weird way. Cause I was like, so anti it when I first got it, I was like, I'm not using this. Like the ableist in me was like, fuck this. I don't need it. Like I'm mm-hmm. fine. Um, but going to this place where like I didn't know a bunch of people and whatever it was almost easier to just like kind of point to the stick almost and be like cool at least like people will have an idea of what I'm going through because I think like looking at me you know in pictures or whatever else you don't necessarily realize um kind of like my disability there and I think that that is something that I've become sometimes painfully aware of in the past couple of years And it's changed my kind of relationship with my body in terms of like, you know, watching myself back on Mm -hmm. camera or um, even like looking in the mirror, like catching myself in a reflection, seeing the way that I move. Like it's definitely become something that pardon the slew of like insensitive words maybe, but like just like it's almost crippling just to like notice kind of these things in myself. Right. Again, we don't hear these conversations. And I think that's why this conversation is hard, because it's such a different conversation in terms of what we think about when we think about body image. I also think what I'm finding quite interesting is what I'm hearing is a kind of common factor that a lot of the time, when it comes to your personal pain and chronic illness, a lot of the things you're doing is almost to placate the comfort of others, just even in terms of you having your stick to signal to others or you not even risking, you know, the foods outside of that to kind of not even have to face, To, you know, there are things that you two have installed in your life to try and make it as smooth a ride as possible. And it's so interesting because because of chronic illness, people are unaware of this bumpy ride that you're on. I think that that's kind of like part of the beauty of like, I don't know, beauty and also maybe uh, luxury that like Rosa and I particularly like, talking about six ad girls and kind of like spaces that are cozy and like making our lives like more convenient and more comfortable. And like the amount, like even in, you know, my last doctor's appointment, having a conversation with this doctor who was like, oh, you've like already made so many, you've taken so many steps to make your life easier, which like was a compliment, but I like was thinking about it. And I was like, well, yeah. Cause I like, that is something that I've 
really made an effort to do because it's just like, there are certain things that I would love to be able to battle every day and like go up against someone and be like, no, this is my body and this is who I am. And like, I'm so proud of it. And I'm so like, whatever, but like some days I don't have the strength to do that, like in myself. And I think it's so much easier to just be like, oh no, okay, cool. I'm not, I'm not mentally capable of having that conversation right now. So I'm going to point to my stick or I'm not mentally capable of having that conversation right now. So I'm literally going to tell you, serve me the children's menu. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that thing as well of like, like Nadia said, like the day we meet, I'm telling you, I come to the table with like, Mm -hmm. here's my list of things. Mm -hmm. I'm like chronically ill. I'm always fucking sad. I'm an alcoholic. Like I don't eat 94 things. Like dating me is like a real joy. First dates are always me being like, so this is like my list of like the way I live my life. And it's like really in some ways, like really structured around like me sort of like taking care of myself uh in the way I know how the best sort of but it's also like I find that like I do that in like a really kind of upfront way of like just because it's like easier for me like I don't want to like not remember what Mm. part of it I've told you yet or like Mm. about who I am or how I have to live my life and it's this thing of like yeah I think in a lot of ways it's like if you bother coming and like want to hang out like (laughs) here's the list and it gives people I find and I think it's like why I started doing it and now I've sort of like embraced it in a different way which is like it's kind of fun to see people like like a little shook by it but it's like here's everything if you can't figure out that like I've made this as easy for you as humanly possible Mm -hmm. then like that's your problem not mine like I've given you my list of like things I do and don't want to do and things I'm like how I have to live and like you can choose to participate that with that in whatever way you want but like I'm not there's nothing that's like changing here sorry and I find that like very interesting when you interact with other people and I think the thing about where this all meets body image for me is like so much of that is like trying to match this like how I feel on any given day to how I feel like I'm supposed to feel about my body as like a person that sort of like, I mean, I like have uh, my experience as like a person with like tits and an ass has like been like very sexualized from the time I was like probably 12, Um, especially like probably growing up in like New York and whatever. And like that availability to like be walking down the street and be like cat called constantly or whatever is this like matching of like the sexualization of my body and the like how I'm supposed to feel versus how like Kate Moss looks on the cover of Vogue versus Mm. how my dysfunctional like chronic illness feels is this thing of like where where do I ever get it right is sort of Mm. the thing that I think is like the most sort of like mind boggling in this way is like am I ever going to be good enough for my illness am I ever going to be good enough to compare to like the way like society wants me to look how do I feel about the body I live in and by the time you've gotten to the end of that you're just so fucking tired of talking about what you look like or how it feels Mm -hmm. that you're just like oh I don't live in my body anymore but thanks you can have it yeah you can here you go just for you I always think about the meme that I no longer wish to be perceived and it does feel like that some days where it's just like literally done now literally I wash my hands of it I'm done now I don't want to I went through big phases of like covering every mirror in my house and then like on the inverse uh, like the sort of like most psychotic went through phases of like photographing myself daily to be like what do I actually look like though 
what do I look like? What do I look like? (laughs) What do I look like? It's like truly the amount of selfies in my camera roll that don't exist because I'm like, I'm having a cute moment. I'm like, I don't know what I look like anymore. I don't trust the mirror and I don't trust myself. So yeah. Yeah. I've always found the phone or like photographs and much more. I don't know why. And this is probably like so demented. Nadia, maybe you can tell me why my brain does this. Why the <laughs> phone, I trust the phone much more than I trust a mirror. I don't know why. I don't, I trust a photograph to tell me what I look like much more than I'll ever trust. That's very Cher and Clueless. I just want to say. <laughs> I was literally thinking about the phone. But you know, I mean, I'm not Nadia, but I'm going to answer this. I do think maybe it's because I I feel like I in the mirror know my angles and can make my face how I want it to be. Whereas a photo a photo oh, never you, lies. I can't lie. You can't lie to me. You like I don't. Oh, but yeah, I've got years of photos where like every day I would take selfies of myself to be like, what do I look like though? Like, am I fat today? Like, what is this? Like, oh, am I skinny today? And that is in such flux because my illness does have an inflammatory side to it. So like literally I look different every day to me like today I woke Mm. up and I'm puffy and it's like kind of cute because it makes me look 15 but like other days I perceive the like puffy is like god I'm so fat like that Mm. that is such a like in the day I'm in of it all I mean I'm thinking about the photos and the mirror because to me a photo you can you can create a photo to look a certain way. You can angle a photo to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not, it's like, it's interesting. Cause almost in some ways, like is the mirror telling more truth than the photo? I guess it's like, who's the taker of the photo, right? Like, oof. That is. I mean, that's. <laughs> <laughs> Chef's kiss, profound statements. But I can also walk around to four mirrors in my house and feel different about the way I look. And I think that's part of it for me is that like mm-hmm. the phone the phone is the most consistent arbiter of this for me. It's like most consistent place I see myself, like as a person that like sort of doesn't really live anywhere and like travels a lot for work and whatever, I'm confronted with like a different set of mirrors a Mm -hmm. lot. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it as well because like the mirror thing of like, and this is like, God bless my mother. She like is amazing, but like, she's a real, like that mirror makes you look short she like will change all the mirrors in the house because she doesn't like the way they make you look. <laughs> she, I mean, it's just so and Cherie as well. I don't know why she like My really doesn't too. sort of like care about much image wise otherwise. But if a mirror is unflattering, she like will get rid of it. And so I've always like had this perception of like, and it's true of like some mirrors are more flattering than others. And that <laughs> I think is part of what has always fucked with me about it is at least I look, at least the phone is consistent. Like I carry this stupid thing around. So like, it's how I see myself most often. To me, it kind of comes back to self-trust, doesn't it? And in a way how chronic illness forces you to kind of, it doesn't leave much room for self-trust in terms of you're not sure when your body is going to be behaving in the way you want it to be behaving from day to day. And so I think in terms of being in control of your image, it's even harder to trust the camera because we are more so in control. But what I think with with the photos, especially if you're taking multiple photos over the course of time, I think where it's it's something that becomes permanent, right? So then you can then make comparisons and maybe that's part of it, right? So you can look back and you can compare at different points and you're like, oh, okay, this is where, and this is how my body is, is moving and in flux. As Honey said, I think it's interesting in terms of the finding different ways to either feel connected with your body or Mm. finding a way of 
creating a relationship with your body where you don't feel that trust like so often in body image work we talk about okay let's think less about what you look like and think about more what your body can do and then if there's that disconnect between what your body looks like and what your body can do it becomes very difficult to trust your body as as you were saying it's interesting you bring that up Nadia the idea of like don't focus on what it looks like focus on what your body can do because I think that that is like something that I think about so much and I think that we talk about a lot with six side girls as well because like me and what my body can do is like oh it opens Pandora's Mm -hmm. box of like issues for me because it's like there are so many things now that my body cannot do that it maybe used to be able to do or things that it was never able to do like let's be real I would like tell Mm -hmm. myself that I was going to get to this level of flexibility but let's not kid ourselves um but I think that like there is like such a radical acceptance around this kind of idea of, okay, but I, I literally can, I, all my body can do right now is just be like, mm-hmm. I can't ask anything of it. Really. I can't, you know, expect anything from it today is maybe just a day where I'm literally in bed and like, I have to just have that be okay. And it's, it's a serious fight in my brain to try to make that okay some days well I mean I feel like it so goes against everything we've been taught because we live in such a society that puts such a you know high importance on productivity and so to say actually the best thing for you is to take a break and to rest and just to sit with the discomfort and heal it's really revolutionary right and I think just going back to the idea of thinking about what your body can do when we talk about it in like science body image stuff I think to expand that because I can see there's so much pressure especially if your body is not maybe operating in a way that you or society expects you to or that perhaps you used to be able to is thinking about the range of functions so it's not just in terms of physical movement it can be in terms of your senses it can be in terms of creativity especially being involved in music creating music listening to music creating art appreciating art in terms of physical touch, we talk about this a lot in terms of the lockdown and the absence of touch and how that made people feel. So I think it's, can we expand that definition? And I think this is really highlighting why we need to expand that definition of thinking about what your body can do is, it's not just in terms of like, can you run a marathon? Can you do the splits, right? Like it's what joy does your body allow you to do or allow you to have? And is that through music? Is that through connection? in through conversation is that through connection through hugs is that through there's a whole spectrum of things our bodies can do i know we spoke about this a little bit at the beginning but the two of you co-founded six dad girls and i wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what it is, what, what is Six Sad Girls? Six Sad Girls. I mean, I think it's one of those funny things where it's sort of like hard to define because it's just mm-hmm. sort of like this funny collection of women on the internet. It's like a thing that we really started from a place of like people that came over and sat on my couch in their pajamas or in my bed or on the floor, or whatever, Kenzie's always on the floor, of like this thing of being like at home and at peace and able to share the way it like felt and feels like really honest terms with women in my own life and I sort of like we took a step back from that and we're like this is a luxury like this is like a real privilege of like cultivating a group of women who like share my experience 
like not maybe in like a detail oriented way, but the feelings around my experience and are able Mm -hmm. to sort of like perceive and understand that in a way that like my sharing of like my experience emancipates myself from the suffering of it and hopefully like empowers the other women in my life to like kind of do the same thing. And we sort of took a step back from that and we're like, well, does this exist for everybody? Or is this a luxury of sort of like growing up in major cities with like cute social circles and like finding these like-minded women that were willing to like be as vulnerable with us as we were with them. And we were like, I don't think this exists for everybody. And so we took to the internet and it was sort of a thing of like, everyone has such like compare and despair on Instagram. There's this thing of like mm-hmm. everyone sharing the like highlight reels of their life, like edited to perfection. And I've never sort of like interacted with social media in that way. Like my Instagram has always sort of been like me and my cats and my boyfriends or family or best friends or like whatever those sort of like moments in my life are is sort of like my Instagram was always like so mundane that the idea of then using it in a way that felt wholesome and felt community driven and felt like finding the similarities instead of finding the differences felt really powerful to me and felt like not that I believe the like tech bros that started the platform like cared what we thought of it but it felt like the sort of like best case use scenario of the platform was to sort of be like, how do we connect and resonate with each other on like a really sort of emotionally vulnerable level rather than being like devastated that you're not as like tall or skinny or beautiful or rich or what like whatever is someone else that like you probably don't even know. And so that's sort of really where it came from was this idea of like, how do we do this like girls together in this way and like how do you sort of make that happen and it really came from this like I shared my story then Ken shared her story then we called all our friends honey was one of the first girls to share her story and it sort of just like kind of took off in its own weird way and got a lot of kind of like incredible feedback like we really in terms of things I know like we've all sort of discussed before of like the trolls of the internet like I mean knock on wood six that girls doesn't get that shit And I don't know why, and I don't know what's made us sort of like immune to like the hate in this way, but like, they're not coming for us. And I think even at 20,000 followers, like, I don't know. I don't know why we don't end up in that world, but I think there's something to the idea that it's hard to look at a photo of a graph of a girl and then read her story of where she's been sick or sad in life and then be like, oh, I'm going to hate you now. And I think there's something like really powerful about that. And that's, I mean, I'm grateful for it. It's created 20,000 other girls that like I get to call or I get to message or I get to talk to every day that are like just as sort of like profoundly perplexed by existence as I am. And like that idea of us carrying each other through was so magical. I feel like I've talked forever. Kenzie, please start talking. No, I love that. I mean, it's like, it's so real. And I think like 
even like what you were saying about like we talk about it a lot like six side girls being the kind of like antithesis of instagram on instagram because it is such a cozy space but like i mean yeah rosa talks about like you know her instagram page being kind of like her and like friends i'm on it i feature a lot i feel famous um (laughs) and like her family and everything else mine is like because i'm a music artist mine's like hyper curated to the point where it's like it still kind of confounds me a little bit and like I don't really enjoy being on my feed as much as I like being on the six side girls feed honestly mm. and like I've kind of just kept it to like post a picture that like is necessary for promo or post a picture of like a cool photo shoot that I did whatever but there's no kind of like I don't know it's such a funny thing because Instagram is such a visual platform but what really makes it amazing when it comes to six side girls is the mm. caption and is mm. the girl's story and I think that that's a place as well where like I'm not necessarily talking about how I feel constantly on my Instagram page, but Six Side Girls is somewhere that I very, like, started out more hesitantly, but now, like, very openly, like, kind of feel like I can go and, like, tell the story of what my doctor's appointment was like that day, or how I've been feeling, or how sad I've been, or, you know, like, anything that really captures kind of what it is to be a Six Side Girl and like not feel ashamed or feel like it's something that I need to hide or not talk about or feel like, oh my God, I'm taking up too much space. It's like something that is celebrated in this space. So I don't know, that's something that like, I do think is really special and it feels really cool that we've been involved in like encouraging other people to do that as well. Cause it like has definitely been a lesson for me in like accepting it myself without like even trying to be like oh and I'm so glad that other people have this opportunity like I'm selfishly I'm so happy that we have this space for me and for so many others like us I mean the work you do is so special and I feel like you really have created a space on the internet that practices such radical empathy and it's just you know it's delightful to see and the community you know the community meetings you do everything that you do you've created especially in a time of such isolation you have created such a amazing place of unity which is it's so rare to see and it's so special our community really is super fucking global something about the beginning of covid and this idea of like all of a sudden everyone needing to find these like real adapting moments especially i found around disability like there's been more advancements for disability during covid because we've been forced to find them and it's one of those things i really hope we don't sort of like leave behind as everyone goes back into the world again but zoom and all of this shit was one of the things that really made that idea of how do we do this together and i think it like really came from this place of like i have the experience of 12-step programs and like always like have that and i'm so grateful for it it's such a part of my like life and recovery in this way but the idea that like for generally sick or sad girls that like where do you where do you start to find like group Mm. therapy where do you start to find whatever and everything felt so like separate everything felt like Ken could find a group for her heart condition I could find a group for my lupus we maybe both could go to an anxiety-based group And that was sort of a thing for us is like, how do you create sort of like group conscience and group community on the internet in a pandemic where like, it sort of really is open to everyone. There's no requirements for membership. There's no requirement to come to a meeting. It's called Six Side Girls, but honestly, we don't give a fuck what your gender is or if you have one. 
Um, you don't have to be really sick. You don't have to be really sad. You can just sort of like have some feelings and want a place to put them. And that's what became sort of like the most impactful for me was this idea of like, there wasn't a person I knew and particularly there wasn't a, my life is filled with women. So like there wasn't a woman I knew that couldn't in some way offer their experience in a way that I found really meaningful or like garner some like cozy, happy energy mm-hmm. from coming to one of these things. Obviously COVID helped the meetings along in terms of um, just like feeling like there was a real reason for it. But I, I think in beyond, I mean, like, like Rosa said, there's no uh, access for entry. Like we don't care about like what you are, who you are, where you're from, as long as you love me, whatever. Um, <laughs> But it's literally just like, be sick, be sad, be whatever. Not only is there the accessibility thing with um, different places that we're all in, but like the idea of wanting to put together like an IRL event and being like a fully accessible venue. Like, what does that actually look like? Do they even exist? Like, what is that? And I think that in that way, it's like, cool. Yes. Like this definitely had a place in the pandemic, but like there is absolutely going to be a need for it and a need for it, I think, remotely past the pandemic. And I think that it's like opened the world's eyes up to so much of like the lacking of accessibility that the, that exists in the world. But also like my eyes, I think like Rosa as well, we were like, oh wait, but this is a perfect dig- or like example of like how we can make our community more accessible to so many people. Yeah. You two have such a beautiful friendship which I feel like Six Sad Girls actually brings to people on a larger scale and I feel like you are sharing that kind of kind communal energy what's one trait that you really admire in each other that you wish that you could you know spread share with everybody Kenzie can do fucking anything I've never met a girl that can like faint in front of a subway station and like get up and walk all the way home and like she can do anything it's like it's truly some sort of weird magic if she's decided it's a thing oh she's gonna cry <laughs> if she's decided it's a thing, <laughs> we both will cry we're these girls we're obsessed with each other in a way that's like truly ridiculous but like have we like it's no, maybe it's yeah, heaven amazing, it's a love story I, it's a love story we all deserve <laughs> and i and i love that you have taken this love story and created <laughs> something with that energy and given that to other people. Like that is really special. I, but I think that's the thing is that like, we really, we are the like, and we feel so privileged by it all. We feel like such gratitude and love for the idea that like, we get each other. And not only do we get each other, we get the two of you. We get like, if you add up sort of the women between the four of us that like, we all love the like Scarlet's Melina's and, all of these people of the world who like kind of make up our like really core group of women it like is such fucking mm. magic like and the idea that that is a luxury not afforded to every woman is a fucking mm. shame and it's like some of that is social anxiety and some of that is being sick too long in your life to really find those women and some of it is like inaccessibility of spaces of which you feel cared for but like I have that luxury I have the coolest women in the world and like that is a thing that I wish for everybody we've spoken so much today about the idea that you know that dichotomy between 
your chronic illness and the way you're expected to exist as a woman in society. And it's so interesting where you have these communal spaces with women, you are just free to exist. No male gaze, completely just, and it is that thing of like, you're not perceived in that way. Like, you know, I was joking about, I no longer wish to be perceived. It's like when you are with women or non-binary people, there is a sense of safety and there is a sense of just, and exhale, we're fine. We've made it home. And like, I love that you've quantified that. I think that's such a big thing for me is the idea of like, I really like part of my like truest struggle in life is outside perception like I know me I like I'm cool with me but I don't know how you know me and like that really freaks me out and for some reason is like does a real number on me and so the idea that I get to exist in spaces where like I sort of am like in a six-side girls meeting or sitting on the couch eating tacos with Kenzie and Honey like I'm sort of like a weird amoeba. Like I don't have to exist in any sort of human form because like neither do they. Like we all are just sort of like weird cellular structures like lying on a couch together or like sitting in a six hat girls meeting together. And like, I no longer like, and it sounds dissociative and it probably is in some ways, but in other ways, it's actually just like the truest form of freedom. is like not having to like consider that I live in a body at all. Like, I don't care. I don't care how much space it takes up. I don't care how big my tits are. I don't care what you feel about the way I look. I get to just sit here and be like a weird amoeba. And that's like- Well, no, it's like a weightlessness in water, isn't it? You know, it's it's not so much a dissociative thing. It's a liberating thing. And it's like floating. Um, Kenzie, please tell us what you love about Rosa. I think, yeah, I don't know, Rosa Rosa loves to use the word magic to describe other things, but like she is the most magical person that I have ever met in my entire life. And like, I think that we joke around with the word tenacity a lot because Rosa is tenacious. <laughs> and like, there are, there are very many people who've described her this way, but it is like, it literally is like, like auntie energy, sister energy maybe, but like also like fairy godmother energy, oh where it's God, just yeah. like anything that she wants to happen, she will make it happen and like, the amount of things that I have seen come to life or become possible that like I thought were impossible because of Rosa Mercurialis is like insane. It's just like, I don't know, like to know, to know Rosa is to love Rosa, which is like the cheesiest yeah. thing ever. But she really like, she fights for everyone that she cares about. Like she knows exactly, like she has just such, such a sense of purpose where you're just like, oh, I know I'm like, I'm completely safe when I'm with her like even if it is literally that we're both like spinning out on the couch like <laughs> who the fuck knows what's going to happen next I'm like okay cool yeah but I'm fine I'm fine here because Rose is that kind of person oh, I love you God, yeah, you two are the love story we all deserve I know I've said that but truly and it, I got it it's true both of you are very special women and you know you taught me how to look after myself in so many ways like in ways I'll never be able to explain and like you two teach prioritizing your comfort and your safety and your happiness which is so something that we are taught to go against and to completely ignore all of the sensation in your body and to ignore when you've when alarm bells are going off and like there is something about meeting you two felt like really coming home and I feel like I'm, I'm just so glad that you're offering it as a service essentially <laughs> you know we're we're out here trying to just like do the best for all the girls that like don't feel yeah. like they have that energy and I think it's that thing of like truly convenience is in terms of like what I do for self-care and I think it's something I've like gotten even like pandemically has taught me to like really sort of embrace at like 
any cost, how do I do this in the most convenient way? Like if I can get the masseuse or the body work woman or the physical therapist to my house, great. I like all of those like things of like, I'm a real brat about like my nails are always done. Like my manicurist comes to my house once a week. How do I get everything I want done? Like do the doctors come to my house? I get COVID tested on my doorstep every Monday. If I can get it done in my house so that I don't have to get out of bed, like I'm down. And I know a lot of that comes with like the luxury and the privilege of like being able to like afford a lifestyle that is like the most convenient to like my illness but like that's what I prioritize I don't go out I don't drink I don't really like love a bougie dinner obviously because I don't eat anything so like where my money goes is making my life as convenient as possible well this is like I love Rosa uses this a lot and like I'm gonna steal it and just like (laughs) feed it right back but she says a lot like um if I can make life really hard for myself then I can probably make it easy for myself as well and it's something that I've tried to internalize in a lot of ways because I think that I do a lot of things that are just like oh you're going like around the thing when you could literally just like walk in a straight line and it'd be so much easier um although knowing my body walking anywhere is kind of difficult but um (laughs) I like, I totally am with the like making things as convenient as possible. Like sometimes self-care is literally just the idea of like, I have a lip balm in every room. Like it's really easy. I don't have to get up to like trash bags all over the place, like in convenient corners. Cause I'm like, I'm not going all the way to the kitchen to throw this away. Are you kidding me? You know what? Like there, there are a lot of things that I think I tell myself that I enjoy and even like being a musician and like making music and it is my greatest joy and my greatest love and whatever but like sometimes listening to the radio is taxing to me sometimes writing a song is not the most those moments it's like what is actually going to be the thing that is going to make you like feel chill and like not and like and allow you to switch off and like have you time because like sometimes spending time with a partner is stressful like as much as I love my partner sometimes you know talking on the phone is taxing like all like you know it's different things on different days and I think like allowing yourself to really like lean into that and like ask the question what do I want right now or what do I need is really important like just checking in on a daily basis this conversation has been so brilliant thank you so much for joining us I wonder if a very final question to you both is where can we find you how can we support your work how do we find six sad girls for people who aren't uh, currently a member of the community well instagram is sort of our like real home it's six sad girls with a z and then our personal instagram miss rosa mercury like the planet and kenzie dot tth on call us call us cry to us. us i don't know call me Six Sad Girls hotline is now open. (laughs) Ask Honey for my number. She'll share. I don't care. (laughs) I answer the phone all the time. (laughs) Thank you so much, girls. Well, what a lovely episode. I adore those women. But Nadia, I have a question for you. What is body functionality? Great question. I also adore Rosa and Kenzie so much, more so from that conversation, I think. Okay, body functionality. Very helpfully, two researchers, Dr. Jessica Oliva and Dr. Tracy Tilker, have very recently published a review paper on the topic in the scientific journal Body Image. So a lot of my answer is going to be based on that paper and we can flip the paper into our google drive fantastic body functionality is about everything that our body can do 
And so this includes our body's internal processes. So things that we don't consciously think about, like breathing and healing and digesting food. It also includes our physical capabilities, like walking and dancing and carrying the shopping and stretching and playing football. It includes our senses and sensations, so seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, experiencing pleasure. It includes our creative endeavours, so making art, making music. It also includes communicating with others. So I am waving my hand around wildly, which only Honey and Daisy can see, but that's the way our bodies help us communicate, so through body language, through eye contact, as well as self-care, so how our body allows us to rest and sleep and recuperate. That's so interesting. Okay, how do we talk about body functionality without being ableist? Yeah, this is a really important point because I think sometimes body functionality does get caught up and very focused on the, the physical capabilities of our body. So like the ability to walk or jump or run a marathon or something extreme or huge. So obviously not everybody's body can do every single one of the things I described above. And actually the researchers Jess and Tracy are very keen to stress that their conceptualization of body functionality is not an able-bodied construct. If a person has physical limitations because of an illness or an acquired injury or has structural differences in their body or due to aging, it doesn't mean that they don't have a functional body. They still have many, many functions and some of the functionality of their body might be different. So it's not that they don't have body functionality at all. They might have different functions. They might not have the whole array, like we might not have the whole array of functions. So someone might have hearing loss, for example, but they can still do many, many things, or their body can still do many, many things. So it's just thinking more holistically about all the different capabilities of our body and and kind of by definition, by being alive, our body is doing something for us. But it's, it's a really interesting topic because we don't hear many accounts of people with chronic illnesses, both visible and invisible illnesses or different abilities and their experience of body image. Like we don't hear that. We don't have that in the research as much. And we don't hear those accounts when we're, when we're having these like bigger conversations about body image. So yeah, I think it's, it's really good to, to have this conversation to kind of broaden our understanding and how this might play out for people and then also recognizing that people's relationship with their body may be not doesn't have to be but it may be more complicated by virtue of what their body can do or what their body can't do so I think what in the few studies that have spoken about body image and physical disability they tend to emphasize focusing on what your body can do rather than what it can't so, and, and accepting your body for what it can do and still finding ways to look after your body, treat your body with care and respect. And which is very much what I felt Rosa and, and Kenzie do and, and practice and really understanding what their body is able to do and capable of in that moment and what they need in response and knowing their needs. No, they are incredible at meeting their own needs and knowing their limits. And that, I mean... I owe them so much because I take so much of that from them and god yeah it's such an interesting conversation and especially I think I've been thinking a lot about the dichotomy of 
people's expectations of what people with invisible illnesses can do versus what they actually can you know that mm. that how you may present to the outside world and people's perceptions of what you would be capable of i think it's just it's very interesting and it kind of goes to show you really can never know someone's you can't know what someone's capable of it's they need to know themselves and it's mm-hmm. not for anyone to pass that judgment thank you for listening to the body protest We really hope you've enjoyed this episode and it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate and review. You can follow Honey on Instagram at HoneyKinney and you can follow Nadia at Nadia.Craddock. This podcast is produced and edited by the glorious Daisy Grant and it's brought to you by the Pink Protest Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.